You are listening to audio from Summit Community Church. You can join us Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. on our YouTube channel at SCC Morganton. Thank you, Jessica. Guys, good morning again and welcome to Summit Community Church here in our campus and online. Good to have you with us. We've been in our series called Best Sermon Ever, based on the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to conclude that series today, and at the end of service, I'll let you know where we're going next week for our new series, but the conclusion is today. It's Christ's first sermon, first one he ever preached, why it's called the best sermon ever. Now, throughout this sermon, Christ has been explaining to us what it looks like to live a gospel-centered life what it looks like to have our lives rooted and grounded in the good news of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Now, tragically, we're so prone to stray away from that, are we not? We're prone to pull away from that. So Jesus keeps pulling us back to what it looks like to live a truly gospel-centered, grace-filled life. When you get to the latter part of Matthew chapter 7, it's like Jesus is landing the plane. It's like flying on a plane in this series, in this sermon. We get into the airport on a plane. We then enter the plane, take our seats, prepare for takeoff. We then take off from the airport. We get to our cruising altitude. Then at a point in time in the flight, they came on and say, prepare yourself. We're getting, reaching our destination. Prep, get ready. Then they say, we're coming through the clouds. We're descending. Landing gear comes out. Before long, we see it in a distance, getting closer. We see the runway. You feel those wheels hit and skid. And after a few seconds, they say, welcome to, and you pray it's the right destination, not the wrong plane you've been on the whole time. Then we exit the plane at our destination. Today, Jesus is landing the plane. Landing gears come out. We've hit the runway. And he's saying, welcome to a gospel-centered grace life. That's what's happening in Matthew chapter 7. That's what he's been teaching us. He's used illustrations to illustrate this about the wide and narrow gates, the choices we make, discerning good fruit from bad fruit, the final judgment. Now the fourth one he uses is a wise and foolish builders is his illustration for today to illustrate this whole truth in Matthew 5 through 7. Turn in in your Bible to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to begin reading at verse 24. Here's what God's Word says. Therefore, tying back to what's been teaching it before, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house. Yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house, and it collapsed. It collapsed with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them like one who had authority and not like their scribes. Jesus makes it clear in this parable there are two kinds of people, and both are builders. One was wise or literally prudent, and he built on the rock. The other one was foolish, or literally in the Greek is the word moros, 
Do you hear the English word? Before we get our word moron, he built on the sand. It's like going to the beach and building sandcastles. Sandcastles are fast, easy. They look good for a moment until the waves come. Then they're gone. We know Christ is not talking literally about houses. He's talking about my life and your life, our lives. Although both lives had many similarities, there's one big difference which made all the difference in the world. It was the polar opposite and contrasting foundations they chose to build on at their houses, their lives. You know, during the hot summer months there by the Sea of Galilee, the the sand would get baked and could feel firm on the surface, very deceptive. So it would have the appearance of being solid or solid enough on the surface. Deceptive. But the wise builder would know that he needed to dig down deep several feet below the surface to get to the bedrock so he could establish a solid foundation for his house. See, the wise person living in the Palestinian desert here would construct a dwelling on a secure rock to protect the house from the flash floods that came with sudden storms. So the foolish person would build on what appeared to be sturdy. He would build directly on the sand and would have no protection against the devastation of the elements caused by the storms that came through that region. In a practical sense, if you passed by and looked at both of these houses, you would not see any difference. Everything above ground would look the same. Maybe some minor cosmetic things, but mostly looked the same. But what was most important was what was not visible under the surface and in the foundation itself. You see, when the wise man built his house on the rock, here's what it means. That rock Jesus speaks of is the gospel. It is his gospel. That rock is Jesus himself. His challenge is build your life on me. Build your life on my life, death, and resurrection in your place on the cross for your sin. Build it on me, not on yourself, not on anything else. Christ is that rock. God is this rock. In other places, we see this. Psalm 18, verse 2, it says this, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer, my God, my rock, where I seek refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Psalm 18, 31 says this, For who is God besides the Lord, and who is my rock? He says, Only our God. Psalm 18, 46 says, The Lord lives, blessed be my rock, the God of my salvation is exalted. Christ is that rock. The first builder chose this rock, this foundation. Verse 24 again, it says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. To build on the rock means this. It means you confess, you believe, and you live in a way that proves Jesus is your Savior, your Lord, your rock, your fortress, and your deliverer. You accept this. You live by this principle in your life. The reality is everyone will build their lives on something. You will build your life on something. I'll build my life on something. And Jesus says the one who is blessed is the one who builds his house on the rock, on him. You remember the disciples in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asked his disciples, he said, who do people say that I am? They had some Elijah, some the prophets, all this. But he made it personal. He said, but who do you say that I am? And I love this guy in Scripture, man. He's just uh, so much like us. Peter spoke up, as he always did. And Peter spoke for the crowd, for the twelve. And he says, you are the Messiah, 
the Son of the living God. Christ then returns and says, that confession, declaration was a rock he built his church on. Now we can't really, it's not Peter as has been falsely translated. The rock Christ speaks of building his church on is that profession of faith. In 18 he says, and I also say that you are Peter, and on this rock, your confession of me as Lord, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Christ is that rock. The truth of all this is every one of us wield our lives on something. But the difference is whoever hears and applies God's word in their life. When you do this, you will be like the one who has built on their life on not on what is, they think best. But what Christ says is best on the solid rock, being Him as your foundation. There's another option. And it is a more popular option, an easier option. It's called the sandy option here in this parable. Verse 26, it says, But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Now, as I said, Jesus says this man is foolish. I said earlier, it's where we get our word moron. It's called moros. But it doesn't just mean not smart. What moron, moros in Greek means is godless. This person's not smart because they're godless. This godless person that Christ says is foolish looks at God and says, I don't need you, God. I've got this. I can handle this. I've got my way of doing things. I don't need you. This option is more popular and it's much easier Christ is teaching, as I said, by the Sea of Galilee, by a sea, obviously a lot of sand. The sand can appear harder in seasons like the hot summer months, but definitely not solid enough. But in this region, by the Sea of Galilee, if you dig 10 feet down, you hit bedrock. You will find that it is sturdy, it's dependable, long-lasting. Matter of fact, the city of Tiberias is built on that bedrock. Still many things standing today from that city of Tiberias. So what would happen was people would take a shortcut and they would build on the sand. The wise builders would spend a lot of extra money, extra time, extra effort, extra energy, and go deep and attach to that bedrock. The foolish person would look at these people and call them foolish. they look and say, you're so crazy to spend so much extra money and extra time and extra effort and extra energy digging down deep. Why would I want to do all that when I can put this, make this a lot easier? I can make it so much quicker. I can make it so much cheaper and I can look the same as you. Well, when the storm came, he found out. And as I said a few minutes earlier, both houses, both lives look very similar in many ways. But the most important part was what was underneath the surface. See, you have to get to the foundation right or nothing will be right. And this story is obvious. There are two kinds of people, but only one kind of experience. See, both of them experience the same storms. You will have storms in life. I will have storms in life. The truth of life is you're either in a storm, you're coming out of a storm, or one is brewing on the horizon. Watch your weather channels. Sun shining, wonderful weather, it's great. Maybe a storm just passed through, the rain has ended, the sun's come out, it's great. But then you say, oh, they'll say, yeah, but look up north here, look down south, it's coming, here's a track, it's going to hit us in three days. You're either in it 
coming out of it or one is brewing on the horizon. That's a promise of life. This storm hit both. Our storms are large, they're small, they're all shapes, all sizes. It can be things like a health crisis. It can be a, love, a loss of a loved one, a major financial reversal in your finances, a, a rebellious child. Whatever you want to name, there are storms in life. The house built on the rock was hit with that same storm. Verse 25 says, The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house. Yet, it did not collapse because its foundation was on the rock. The house on the sand was hit with the same storm. Matter of fact, I can see these guys being next-door neighbors. Verse 27 says, The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house, and it collapsed. It collapsed with a great crash. What's interesting is both the wise builder and the foolish moron builder had the same information. But the foolish guy has all the information and no application. Catch this phrase. Information with some inspiration without application is worthless. If I hear it and I hear it in my ears and I'm maybe a little bit inspired by it, maybe, maybe not, and I don't apply what I've heard, it's useless. Think about sunscreen for a minute. I would tell you today that I truly do believe in sunscreen. But man, I hate that stuff with a passion. When you, if you're with me at the beach, you'll watch me getting ready to go to the beach. And I'm standing there in my bathing suit and putting that, and I'm sitting there just, every time I squirt in my hands, I'm going, oh, oh, I'm grimacing and grunting. David goes, would you please shut up? I go, oh, it's just, oh, and I just grow. I said, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. <laughs> Then I put it in my face. It's good. It's not good to get in my eyes, but it's good to the end. Because why? By, I know it's going to protect me from the sun. I know I need it. I know I need to use it. But man, I don't. I hate that stuff. But I do use it. I can believe in it by HP 50 plus and not apply it. I'm going to burn. Well, I had sunscreen. Yeah, but you didn't put it on. I would be a moron. <laughs> now, let me use another one for you. How about deodorant? <laughs> Go to any middle school or maybe even lower than that and find this out, this principle. Like, somebody needs some deodorant in here. The kid goes, no, I'm good. No, you're not good. You need deodorant. <laughs> Ask your friends if you need deodorant or not. I can believe in it. Man, I believe it works. I believe it does help me to not smell bad. And then I smell myself, I'm going, I forgot to put it on the other end. If you have it, do not apply it. It is worthless. We must hear God's Word, act on God's Word to be a wise builder. Look at what Christ said about the wise builder and the foolish builder. The wise builder, verse 24 says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words... A mind and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. But that foolish, godless builder heard it but did not act. Verse 26, but everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Both builders heard, 
but one acted and one did not act. The key is not just hearing. The key is hearing and acting. The key is hearing it, obeying it, and applying it to my life. That's the key. You see, our problem is not so much we don't get enough Bible, we don't hear enough Bible, it's that we don't do enough Bible. We might hear a lot, but we got to do it. We got to do what God's Word said. James, the half brother of Jesus, in his letter, he said it like this, chapter 1, verse 22, but be doers of the Word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he's like someone looking at his own face in a mirror, where he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. James has said it's not enough just to hear it, to look and make an assessment. You have to do something about what you see. Change what you see. Change your perspective of what God says. Both guys heard the same information, and one chose to build his life on that. The other said, no, I'll build on the sand. And why did he do that? Again, the sand was easier, sand was quicker, and the sand was cheaper. This sandy foundation we choose to build our lives on could be described as, most all the time, based on self. A survey was done about Americans that said this, that 84% of those surveyed Americans believe that enjoying yourself is the highest goal in life. 86% of Americans surveyed believe you should pursue the things you desire the most. And 91% of Americans believe to, quote, find yourself, you look within, and that is where you find true happiness. You see a theme in all three of those survey results? It's me, me, me. At the root of all this is that sandy foundation attempt to build our lives on the sandy foundation itself. When you read John's version of this sandy foundation in 1 John chapter 2, here's what he says. Do not love the world or things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is with this lust is passing away, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. John says the sandy foundation is three areas. The lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride in one's possessions. You know, every one of us has a tendency to want to build our lives on one of these three areas. Because it appears to be solid, but it's only sand. See, the lust of the flesh is us saying, I deserve to feel this way. This is us trying to build our lives on what we think we deserve to feel like, like things like image and hobbies and approval of others. Doing this never ends well. The lust of the eyes is us saying, I deserve to have. You see this thing, and as you've seen this thing, you feel like you can't live without having this thing. It can be stuff money buys. Or it can be the security money provides. That's the lust of the eyes. The pride in possessions is us saying, I want to be somebody. It's that trap of comparison. The temptation to be somebody or something to everybody else around us. You see, in that trap, we don't just want to be rich or smart. We want to be richer and smarter than everybody else. It's always a comparison. Nothing robs your joy more than comparing yourself to others. And we are never satisfied 
as long as someone has more or makes more because we got to have more than they have. Be wiser, smarter than they are. It's an endless, tiring, futile chase of status, accomplishment, and success. It's us looking through relationships around us rather than a relationship with Jesus to satisfy us. It's looking to religion and performing ritualistic things to satisfy rather than building a satisfaction in relationship with Jesus. Building our lives like this will never end well. It says this kind of life, as Jesus says, will come crashing down. Look at verse 27. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house, and it collapsed. It collapsed with a great crash. You see, what happens for so many of us is we sprinkle a little gospel in our house after it's built, but don't have the Word of God as our foundation. Christ is our foundation. When you finish a house, it's very you know, it's important that when the house is completing, that last part, you're hanging curtains, hanging pictures, putting down rugs, coordinating things in the house. That's what you do. You make it look good. We sometimes can sprinkle a few verses here or there to make it feel good and appear good, forgetting all the while what is underneath the surface in the foundation itself. I remember building our house, and we got to the back corner of our house when the foundations were being dug, and I was with, Debbie's dad was our contractor, so I was with him that Saturday morning. We were trying to get the, the, the foundation areas finished so we could pour them. And it had to be a certain depth. Don't take this as the right measurement. I'm just giving you a guess. Somewhere along this, we had, we had a, a string strung all the way around the perimeter and the foundation had to be that deep. Well, we got to the back corner and we had hit rock. It had about an inch too high. I had to scrape an inch off of this rock and this rock was massive. So I'm out there with a pickaxe and I'm chipping away and chipping away, sparks flying everywhere. And I thought, this is all I can do. It's still too high. At worst, it was an inch, maybe a little bit less. And I thought, well, we'll be okay. The inspector comes. He looks at it, measures all the way around, and he measures it. I said, that's got to come down an inch. And I went, I, he's not the one that's been out there for hours pecking at it with a pickaxe, and it's not going anywhere. And I looked at him with my eyes. I said, but. And I started to argue with him, and David's dad goes. And I said, bye-bye. He said, behind that guy's back, I said, okay. Because he had to deal with them all day long. I dealt with them just that Saturday. He says, i got to deal with these people. <laughs> He was determined it's got to come down an inch. I was so mad. He left, and I got that pickaxe out. I wore myself out chipping away and sparking all over the place. I think we finally got it down. But he said, he said, that one inch will cause you problems if we don't correct it now. He said, it will, it will cause problems in this house. You've got to get it down because that rock might even shift. We don't know. So, you know what I had to do at that point? I didn't like it. I had to say, he does this all day long. He's more intelligent than I am. I don't know this. He does. Therefore, I better listen to the inspector because he's the inspector. And in the end, it worked out great. Our house is standing solid, standing firm. I've got to lean to the one that knows what's going on because a little bit of this or that, all the curtains and decorations and pictures in the world wouldn't fix it if our foundation cracked. It's important what's underneath. When you build your life on success, many times you find your ladder to success you've been climbing was on the wrong wall. You've been going the wrong direction the entire 
time. When you build your life on status and approval of others, it always crashes because somebody is always going to not like you and disappoint you. When you and I hear the Word of God and still choose to base our lives on us, our life comes crashing down. It comes down with a crash. And once again, information with inspiration without application is worthless. And Jesus makes it clear that He is the final judge and authority. Look at verse 28. He says, When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at His teaching because He was teaching them like one who had authority and not like their scribes. See, their scribes would just reiterate information, just spit it out, regurgitate information. But Jesus taught with authority. Christ's teaching was intriguing. It was insightful. It was challenging. It was full of passion, full of conviction. Why? It was the embodiment of Him. He was the fulfillment of what He was teaching. He was the one He was teaching about. It was personal. You and I must realize this teaching is intriguing, it's insightful, it's challenging, it's full of compassion, it's full of conviction. And we must submit to Him as the final judge and final authority in all ways, in all things, in the foundational parts of our lives. If you build your life on success and stuff and status, it will fail. Not might, but it will fail. But building your life on Christ as Savior and Lord of your life Nothing that comes against you will prevail. I want to ask you, what is your life built on? Have you wandered away from the rock and moved to the sand? That can happen. As an old hymn says, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. We are so prone to drift, so prone to wander. And Jesus says, I'm pulling you back. I'm pulling you back to center yourself on me as a foundational element of your life. The key to building on the rock is staying on the rock is our hearts. You see, a new heart brings new desires. Change of heart changes desires. Psalm 37 says this, Take delight in the Lord, and He will give you your heart's desires. When I have a heart change, my desires change. Earlier in this sermon, Jesus said, Matthew 6, 33, what does He say? But seek first the kingdom of God, and His righteousness and all these things we provided for you. Seek Him first. Put Him as the foundational element of your life. C.S. Lewis, I was blessed several years ago with a book called God on the Dock, a collection of essays from C.S. Lewis that were found after he died by his wife and his children, never were published. They got published in a collection. And one of the many insightful essays that he had never printed in one of the essays, he said this, you can't get second things by putting them first. You can get second things only by putting first things first. He also said this, if you put first things first, you get second things thrown in. If you put second things first, we lose both first and second things. He's saying, get your priorities in order. Put Jesus as a foundational element of your life. Putting first things first is being willing to do the hard stuff. You don't do the easy, cheaper, quicker thing. You make the difficult choice. You invest your life in Jesus, in the gospel, and God's word itself. You persevere. Putting first thing first means focusing on what is underneath the surface. You don't just hear it. You actively listen. You hear it and you act on it. You build your life on the foundation of Jesus, the gospel, and God's word itself. 
Notice a couple of things as we close. The wise and foolish heard. Both heard. Heard the same thing. The wise acted on it. The foolish did not act on it. And the storm came, and it, I love this word, it pounded both the wise and the foolish. Like I said, they were probably next door neighbors. The one on the rock did not collapse, but the one on the sand collapsed, and it collapsed with a great crash. Now, it doesn't say, catch this part. This really spoke to me. It does not say the one on the rock did not have some residual damage. It says it did not collapse. It did not crash. The foolish, the godless guy had nothing left. Totally demolished. The wise man probably had some residual damage. You cannot go through a storm that makes a house go to the ground and not have residual damage. Probably had some lost shingles. They knew shingles in that day, but you know what I mean. Maybe some cracked, lost windows. Maybe some siding gone. But the damage was minimal compared to the other guy. The damage was repairable. The house was still standing. You cannot read this parable from Jesus and say, well, if I put Jesus as my foundation, there will be no storms. There will be no damage. It'll hurt. It'll hurt, but your house won't crumble down and crash. I love Hubert's Lemonade. Never tried it. Try some someday. It's tart. It's great. I grabbed one one day and was opened up the top. And as I'm drinking it, I laid the cap down. It happened to be turned up towards me. And I saw writing underneath the bottom of the cap. And when I read it, here's what it said. Consuming this product may cause joy. And I read that. I was like, well, that does give me joy because I love this stuff. And I drank the whole thing. I thought, well, that's pretty cool. Then I thought about application to God's Word and Jesus. Thinking about when I take His Word, when I take God's Word and I hear it, I read it, and I act upon it, it brings me joy. And I challenge you with this. Consuming this may cause you joy. And I'll change it and say this. Reading and consuming this will cause you joy. Joy that overrides storms in your life. It will be painful for a moment in the span of a time. But joy will be constant in your life. Reading and acting on this Word of God, on Christ Himself, will bring stability in your life that when the storms come on the righteous and the unrighteous, when the storms hit the wise and the foolish, the foolish will crash. The wise will still be standing. Hearing and acting on God's Word gives you a foundation that enables you to stand and stay standing when you're hit with the storms in life. I'll never forget being in, in New Orleans right after Katrina, going down for World Changers, some mission work being a coordinator for the very first time in that period of time that year and we went down for a preview and man what a preview it was landing in February after Katrina had hit during that visit I saw the devastation of a hurricane we they took us down the ninth ward right by the levee where it broke saw houses completely moved off their foundation saw foundations still there houses gone 
saw houses where there was still clothes in the closet, cars in the carport, things under the trees, nobody around. The most eerie feeling in the world is walking those streets with no sounds. No dogs, no cats, no birds, no kids, no nothing. Just eerie silence. We're walking down the street, and I didn't realize I was doing this, but as I was walking down the street, I started walking at an angle like this. And the guy that lives there come behind me and put his hand on my shoulder and said, buddy, he said, that's not an optical illusion. It's real. I said, what? He said, you're walking sideways. And I said, I am. He said, everybody does it. He said, look, all the telephone poles were pushed sideways because of the magnitude of the water that hit them when that levee broke. And it caused that optical illusion. You go up into the city, the main part of the city is built on a higher plane. They have some busted out windows, some siding missing, but relatively in great shape. Ninth Ward, wiped out. We partnered with a new project there called Musicians Village, putting brand new homes on a higher plane to new flood standards for residents to, to purchase and be in in that time period. My point, the Ninth Ward was not built on a solid foundation. Bad foundation. Everything was bad. Where are you choosing to put your life? Where are you putting your foundation at today? Have you banked on Jesus? Have you put your foundation on the rock, Jesus himself, his salvation, his gospel in your life? Or have you chosen a quicker and easier and cheaper way? Invest your life in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Invest your life in him because storms will come. Life happens. Where are you with your foundation? Stand with us as we sing together. As we sing, ponder that question. Say, God, where's my life built? Where is it at? Sand on myself and other things in this world? Or is it on you? And God, have I shifted? Have I moved my house somewhere that's not stable in my life? Father in heaven, I pray, open our eyes still, open our ears still, open our hearts still to you to speak during this time of worship. Have your way in us, we pray. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this week's sermon. For more information about Summit Community Church, please check out our website at summitchurch.me or on social media on Facebook or Instagram at SCC Morgantown.